You are listening to The Stender with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit JcastNetwork.org. So this is Message in Musaf. Uh, and uh, the benefit of Message in Musaf is that we clear off a little bit of time in our regular, regular schedule to dig a little bit deeper into the themes of the Torah reading from this Shabbat. And it happens to be that this Shabbat is a uh, powerful and uh, deep uh, Torah portion. It so happens to be my bar mitzvah portion. Uh, And uh, it's a powerful and deep Torah portion, a lot going on. Um, and, uh, And I have my own thoughts about it. I even went back to my bar mitzvah speech uh, and, uh, and, and what's that? Uh, right. So I like had it in the folder. I read it like that. Uh, but I went back to the bar mitzvah speech and I, and I, uh, kind of, uh, uh, saw what I, what I said 20 years ago about this Torah portion. And, uh, I won't share all of it with you, but I'll share some of it with you if you want. Um, but I wanted to spend a little bit of time thinking about the question that I posed at the beginning of the Torah service, which is if you take the four major Figures, four major characters in our Torah portion this week, which I think are uh, Moses, Aaron, Pharaoh, and God. If you take those figures and you kind of map out the trajectory of their characters, what might the Torah portion as a whole, or each of those characters in particular, or the dynamic between those characters, what might those relationships, what might those uh, trajectories have to teach us in our lives, in our world today. Okay, so taking those four characters, Pharaoh, Moses, Aaron, and God, what might the nature of their character's trajectory teach us in our lives, in our world today? So I wanted to uh, offer, uh, I, I mentioned at the beginning of Torah service, hopefully some of you spent a little bit of time chewing on that question, but I wanted to, uh, now that that was like individual mind chewing, uh, and now I want to move to a little bit of uh, traditional Jewish mind chewing, uh, which is to do it verbally and out loud. So uh, I'd like for everybody to please find a chavruta, find a, uh, a partner, whether that's the person sitting next to you or, or behind you or in front of you, uh, or maybe across the room, maybe somebody you don't know. Um, if you don't know them yet, introduce yourself, say hi, say good Shabbos, we're a, a friendly congregation, uh, and, uh, and, and take some time discussing together what you see, what you think um, are the trajectories of those characters. How do they change, or what might the changes in those characters teach uh, um, if they're taken either individually or as a whole? Okay, so we're going to take a, everybody understand the kind of uh, question and the instructions? Anybody not understand? Anybody want me to repeat it or clarify it? Okay, so you want me to repeat it or clarify it? A little more clarification, okay. So you have four, I think, major characters in this week's Torah portion, which is Parshat Va'era, uh, God, Moses, Aaron, and Pharaoh, okay? And those characters um, uh, 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 either change or don't change in the course of the narrative. Uh, and so what I want to explore are the ways in which those characters either change or don't change, and what, if anything, the either changes or no changes that those characters have might have to teach us. Does that make more sense? 
Okay, so take a few minutes, turn to the person next to you, behind you, across the room, uh, and uh, discuss that question. All right, so, so what did you see? What did you think? How, what did you uh, think about that, those dynamics? Not a lot of change in any of the characters. Interesting. Anybody agree with that or disagree with that? You disagree. Okay, so what, what, what? You saw a lot of change in Moses. Interesting. What changes did you see in Moses? More of his faith. Can you give some examples of where you saw that? So we see we have differences of opinion. Maybe no one really changes. Maybe everybody stays kind of static. Or maybe Moses has, uh, has, has uh, at least that kind of shift. Maybe grows more confident, uh, grows deeper in his, uh, in his faith in, in God or what God is going to do. Maybe that's happening, yeah. Wow, so, so you're right. God and Moses don't approach the situation as like a, um, let's help each other, sort of, right? Uh, there's an antagonistic relationship set up there, although that's a really interesting point, right? That, uh, that uh, from an informational point of view, maybe there is a shift in Pharaoh. Maybe he does change his mind about uh, the nature of reality, the nature of his place in the world versus God's place in the world. He doesn't necessarily change his mind. He doesn't change his behavior, uh, but he might change his reality. Which, so, um, I, I was going to reference this uh, in, in a little bit, but since you brought it up, I'll go ahead. I've been uh, reading a, an, a, an exceptional book. The names of the authors I can't remember off the top of my head, but the book is called Switch, um, How to Change When Change is Hard. And uh, what the author presents is, uh, is or the authors, I think it's two authors, uh, presents a, a, a metaphor for what is required in change. And, uh, and he says that uh, we all have uh, within us um, an elephant and a rider on top of our elephant. The rider is our sort of like uh, rational mind, right? Uh, and our elephant is our emotional mind. And the elephant is actually, in a lot of ways, in control of where we're going to go and what we're going to do. And if you saw the Disney movie Inside Out, um, that was a very significant uh, 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 focus on the role of that elephant, of the role of our emotions, our feelings, to control our behavior. But he says that we actually have both. We have a rider and we have an elephant. Um, but seeing it as that dynamic shows that just making an argument that's persuasive to the writer, right? You know, what's the right direction to go and what's, what's true about the route that you should take? All of that is fine, but none of that is convincing to the elephant, right? So there are rider challenges when change is hard and there are elephant challenges when change is hard. Sometimes it's okay, you can appeal to the rider and the elephant can move. But other times, just appealing to the rider is not enough to move the elephant. And I think that that's what you're describing in Pharaoh, right? Moses and God and Aaron convince the rider that there's, a, that there's a, some, some new information, but don't convince the elephant. Yeah, so that's a really powerful and fascinating point, right? That, um, uh, that, that a lot of times, you know, we think that, you know, if we, if we just change our minds, then our behavior will change. But it actually turns out that a lot of times the opposite is even more true, right? The way we behave will reinforce or change our minds, change the way we look out at things. It's, so the, the Jewish tradition uh, puts a lot of uh, emphasis on this, right? So the, um, the classic formulation of this is in the book of Exodus when the Jewish people at Sinai say, na'asev and ishma. We'll do it, we'll follow the Torah, and then we'll learn what's, what, what it all entails. We'll, like, we'll think about it intellectually, right? And so you have both 
Pharaoh and Moses, for each from their own side, living out that dynamic. They're both in their own way doing na'asev and ishma, right? Just on totally different ends, right? Moses is more or less doing what God is asking him to do, and through it, maybe that's where he cultivates uh, more faith and, and more confidence, right? Pharaoh, on the other hand, is um, engaged in the behavior of, um, of, uh, of obfuscation and, uh, um, and uh, uh, setting up barriers, right? And he's repeating that behavior, and that behavior reinforces his mindset, right? Um, and so the well, I don't want to give away that last thing that I was going to say, so I'll just stop there. Thank you. Yeah. Other thoughts? Yeah, Eva. So what Eva said was that we're told that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, but somehow she thinks that even if God hadn't done that, Pharaoh would have probably acted the same way. How many of you talked about or thought about this, uh, this statement that the Torah makes about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart? Right, so that's a major motif in the whole Exodus narrative. Something like 20 times during the course of the Exodus, uh, we're told something having to do with the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. It appears to be kind of an even split between uh, the early in the story, it says that Pharaoh's heart became hardened, or Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And a little bit later in the story, the language shifts to God hardens Pharaoh's heart. There are a lot of different ways to interpret that. One way, I think, is in line with what Eva said, which is, and also I think in line with what Rita said, is that, uh, um, is that when, we, when we engage in a certain kind of behavior, right, Pharaoh maybe intentionally hardened his heart. Right? In order to ignore the cries of screaming and suffering people, you have to harden your own heart. And if you do that enough times, your heart becomes hardened. So when it says later that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, it actually may not be talking about anything supernaturally. It might be a figure of speech, right? That, um, that, that Pharaoh, it was as if Pharaoh had been created that way, right? At that point, because the behavior had become so ingrained. Beautiful. Yeah, Gary. Oh, interesting. Okay. Right. So, so assuming the, uh, it's, uh, what, what was the Ronald Reagan line? Like, trust but verify? Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. So the, the pride thing is a really important one, right? And also the self-perception of Pharaoh as God is really is important, right? So it's, it's true for him. Like, he doesn't want to, uh, maybe he sees himself that way. He doesn't want to see himself as, as bending or changing because that infringes on his understanding of who he is in the world. It also potentially is dangerous for him as a leader, right? If his power in Egypt is predicated on people thinking that he's God, right? And he were to bend to the will of, uh, of, of, a, of a nation of slaves uh, or of this, you know, magician from the desert, right? Who comes and, uh, you know, waves a rod around, right? What does that do for uh, what he thinks is the root of his own authority. There's another dimension, I think, also of the Pharaoh as God uh, motif, and maybe it's related to pride, but it's also, um, you know, there's a, there's a perspective, a philosophical perspective, a theological perspective, that what it means to be God is to be unchanging, right? That's actually a, uh, an, uh, something that is very much an influence of, uh, of, of Greek philosophy onto Western traditions. Um, although I have to say, and I'll point this out in just a moment, I'm not positive that the uh, authentically Jewish perspective 
of what the nature of God is, is a God that is unchanging. Uh, so, uh, but, but I think that there's a piece of Pharaoh who says, like, in order to be God, I have to stay static. Right? I can't budge. Right? And, uh, and the God of Israel says, that's actually not what it means to be God. And we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, Lisa. Yeah, it just, so, so Lisa pointed to the uh, part in the narrative where the, where the Israelites uh, uh, bring in their horses. And she says that, uh, and I think that that's valid, it was, a, it was a somewhat deliberate choice on my end to leave out the, the people of Israel as one of the four characters that we were going to look at. It was primarily deliberate in the sense that it's hard to think of them as one character because it's a mass of people and also because it felt like four was already like a lot of balls to keep in the air juggling but you're right right so maybe uh they're another model in the story for what it looks like to uh to change because if you look at the trajectory of uh of, of the whole exodus narrative um there is um let me rephrase what I was about to say. I was about to say there's a lot of change in the, in the uh, people of Israel. What I will say is um, the question of their being able to change is a recurring theme. Right? Yeah. Good. Other, the, no, no one has mentioned anything about Aaron or God. But you, you don't have to. I just... Yeah. Right, in other words, like, why not just start with the death of the firstborn, right? If, like, that's where you're building up to, just cut to the chase, right? Um, why all the other suffering? Uh, unless, unless they are chances for Pharaoh to do the right thing. Maybe they are, maybe they're not, I don't know. Anybody have anything? Yeah, Carla. Right, so what Carla is uh, offering, for those who didn't hear, is that uh, God changes, seems to change in some ways pretty radically during the course of the story. She's bringing privileged information from the previous week's Torah portion on some level because only in the previous week's Torah portion do we learn that God became aware of the suffering of the children of Israel and decided to move from being a passive uh, bystander to history to entering into the story and, uh, and resolving the problem, leading the people from degradation to dignity. But you have it even at the beginning of our Torah portion where God uh, uh, re-encounters Moses and says, um, uh, God spoke to Moses, I am the uh, four-letter ineffable name of God. Uh, I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as El Shaddai. But I was not known to them, or I did not make known to them my name Adonai. And a lot of the commentators point out the distinction of what attributes, what characteristics of God are embodied by those two different names. El Shaddai uh, embodies a more uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, um, static version of God, vision of God. God, uh, God that is suri velo right? My rock in whom there is no flaw. Adonai, on the other hand, to the rabbis, midat uh, the God's virtue of compassion, right? So when God said, I was known to your ancestors as El Shaddai and I did not make myself known to them by my true name, which is 
the Lord God of compassion, what God is signaling there is a fundamental shift, a fundamental change. I'm no longer going to be just like this rock on the side. I'm going to open up my heart and enter into the, uh, into the history and destiny of, uh, of a suffering people. So, yes, Hattie, yeah. Uh, so Hattie's pointing out that maybe it's not a matter so much of God changing in the course of the story. Maybe God is just demonstrating God's patience and forbearance. We talked a little bit about patience last night. Patience and forbearance and is waiting for Pharaoh to come around and change. So good, yes. So good. So uh, uh, Guadalupe, right, um, uh, offered that each of the plagues um, is uh, sometimes seen as um, a direct assault on uh, each of the gods, each of the most powerful gods of Egypt. Uh, like the Nile, for example, is, uh, is, a, is one of the, um, represents one of the chief gods of Egypt. Uh, and, uh, and by assaulting each of those gods through the plagues, God asserts that God is uh, the only God, right? Or at least the God in uh, the most powerful of the gods. Um, okay, good. So these are all excellent, profound, deep insights, and, and they're all really influencing what I'm about to offer, right? So I mentioned just a few moments ago uh, this, uh, this, this really great book called Switch, How to Change When Change is Hard. And in Switch, the authors present uh, uh, a significant amount of research that is done in fields ranging from psychology to philosophy about Really, what it comes down to is human nature. Can we, on a fundamental level, change? Or are we basically static people? Or in other words, do we really have the capacity, does a person have the capacity to, to really transform themselves, to be someone different tomorrow than I am today? Or do we basically have like the same us-ness that perpetuates from year to year, we might change a little bit, we might like change a behavior, we, our physical appearance might change a little bit, but fundamentally, deep down, we are always going to be the same, right? I am what I am, that's, that, and that's all that I am. And I think that this portion, this week's portion specifically, but the Exodus narrative in general is a large commentary on that question. Because if you look at all of these characters, it really is a play about, uh, about what it means to change. And so the first hint of that is God's encounter with Moses. Think about from last week's Torah portion, when God encounters Moses at the burning bush, Moses says, I'm going to go to the people and I'm going to tell them uh, the God of our ancestors uh, sent me what is your name? Who should I tell them sent me? And God gives what seems to be, in the moment at least, a, a, a truly frustrating, like obfuscating answer. God says, tell them my name is Ehyeh Asher Ehyeh, which scholars debate how to translate, but it is something like, I will be what I will be, or I will become what I will become. In other words, God is hinting in that moment, in the very first encounter that God has with Moses, signaling the onset of the Exodus, setting the stage for this entire story. God says, what I am above all else is possibility. And you, children of Israel, have lived under Egyptian slavery for so long 
that you no longer realize what is possible. You no longer realize that exaltation is possible. You no longer realize that faith is possible. You no longer realize that hope is possible. You no longer realize that dignity and freedom are possible. And so I got him coming to say, yeah, I share, yeah, what I fundamentally am, the deepest truth of all reality is possibility. You don't have to be who you are. You don't have to stay static. There is always the capacity to change. And then think of Moses' response to God. I'm not the person that you should send. And that's a, an argument that Moses reiterates again in this story. The children of Israel aren't listening to me. So how is Pharaoh going to listen to me? I'm of uncircumcised lips. I have a speech impediment. Moses doesn't believe that he can become more than what he sees himself as being. And as a few people, I think, astutely pointed out, during the course of the story, there is a sense that Moses is coming to terms with the own possibility of his own leadership and power. It didn't have to be Moses. It really could have been anybody. There are all sorts of midrashim about why Moses. Moses is a model for each of us. Because what Moses says at the beginning is, I don't think that I can accomplish the job that's in front of me because of who I am. And God says to Moses, you can accomplish that job because you could be more than what you think you are. Aaron is the only one in the story that actually models what Moses is supposed to become. And so when God says to Moses uh, that, uh, that you'll be in the role of God to Pharaoh and Aaron will be your prophet, the role of a prophet is to show people what is possible. Aaron never doubts his ability. He never questions his role. He never challenges the possibility that redemption is at hand. And so Aaron represents this prophetic model to Moses and to us about what it means to embrace the possibility that we can accomplish, that we can be different, that we can grow, that we can be exalted. And Pharaoh is the model in the other direction. Because Pharaoh, and this is Eva's insight about what it means for Pharaoh's heart to be hardened. Pharaoh might believe that change is possible, but Pharaoh doesn't want to change. Pharaoh rejects the importance and the value of change. So God holds out this model that what the deepest truth of reality is possibility, and Pharaoh, the antagonist, holds out the model of impossibility. And you see what God does turn after turn to the model of impossibility. You think this is not possible? I'm going to show you what is possible. And the model is true for each and every one of us in our lives and what's possible in our world. The deepest truth of reality embodied by God that's the oneness that pervades all of reality is ehyeh asher ehyeh. Ultimate infinite possibility. And so each of us does not have to be wedded and bound to the person we were yesterday. We can become something different, something better today if we believe and allow ourselves to become that thing. And to know all statements 
and positions of impossibility are doomed to crumble. They're doomed to crumble in society, and if we embrace positions of impossibility, that crumbling will happen, we'll see it happen, each of us within our own lives. What it means to be a person of Torah, to walk a path of faith, is to see the infinite nature of the possibilities ahead of us for ourselves, for our families, for our relationships, for our communities, for our world, and to boldly move in the direction of embracing that possibility. Shabbat Shalom.